This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. We begin tonight with breaking news. The integrated homicide investigation team confirming late this afternoon an arrest has been made in the stabbing death of Ethan Bestflug. The 17-year-old was killed while riding a transit bus in Surrey last week. Krista Dow is live with the latest. Krista, what are investigators telling us about the suspect? Sophie, police say they now have a suspect in, uh, in custody in connection with the death of teen boy Ethan Bestflug, and that person has been arrested and charged with second-degree murder. Now, homicide investigators have identified the suspect as 20-year-old Caden Mintenko, and police say he is known to them. Now, on Sunday, officers descended on a home in Burnaby and arrested Mintenko in connection with that fatal stabbing of Ethan Bestflug. Police say this was not a random attack and that the victim and his accused killer did know one another through a third party. But it is unclear their exact relationship and police are still working to determine a motive. Last Tuesday night, Ethan Bestflug was riding the 503 bus in Surrey on his way home when he was attacked. He would later die in hospital. Bestflug's death, among other violent attacks, highlighting the greater calls for safety on public transit. Such violence, it generates fear in our community. We have immediately increased patrols by reassigning our mobile street enforcement team to these areas. All right, Christy, you've also spoken with Ethan's family. What's their reaction to the news today? Sophie, Holly Indritz and Ethan's mother tell me, well, this doesn't change the outcome. It is a good first step in getting that justice for her son. Um, but they also know that there is a long road ahead. I'm in shock. I have to take medicine just to kind of just keep me level at the moment because I have other kids I have to take care of. And um, I just hope if there are more that they are brought to justice. Um, Held accountable. It's like held accountable. Like this is so senseless. Sophie Holly Indrison showing tremendous strength through all of this. Uh, the family just saying that they really hope that changes are made on board uh, transit to ensure uh, public safety, to ensure that everybody is able to get home safely and that nobody has to go through what they're going through right now. Sophie. Mm -hmm. All right, thanks for that. Krista Dow reporting live tonight. Now let's bring in Keith Baldry for more because, Keith, public safety was once again a hot topic in the legislature mm -hmm. today. 
Yeah, and no surprise. You know, in fact, I've not seen public safety be sustained as a top political issue ever, uh, what we're seeing right now. This goes right back to last fall. It's been the dominant issue in the B.C. legislature in terms of question period. No surprise today, the B.C. United, that's the old B.C. Liberal Party, making that issue front and center and seizing on one aspect at the end of question period. Th found it quite interesting, pointing out how many RCMP vacancies there are across Canada, but most of them are here in British Columbia, making it hard to add resources when everyone's calling on more resources to be added. Here's a brief exchange at the end of QP today. There are 813 RCMP vacancies across Canada, the entire country as of today. 460 of those RCMP vacancies are right here in British Columbia, over half. Now, now Mr. Speaker, the Solicitor General, the Premier, could have uh, taken action on this uh, five years ago, four years ago, three years ago, two years ago, last year, earlier this year. The results are terrible. But what I can tell you is that this Premier made it a commitment that when the evidence was presented that here's what we have to do, we made the largest investment in provincial policing in the history of this province and indeed this country. So I don't expect the opposition to drop this issue in the days ahead. We've got a question period again tomorrow morning. Uh, it's an issue, as I said off the top, that's dominating political discourse over here in the way we've never seen before, which speaks volumes of where we're at as a society uh, when it comes to violence in so many places. All right, thanks for that, Keith Baldry, reporting for us. Now, police in Victoria are searching for a suspect in a brazen daytime jewelry store robbery that was caught on video. As Kylie Stanton reports, staff did their best to thwart the heist. Now, loyal customers are showing their support for the business. With a hammer in hand, he pushes his way past the staff and gets to work. This surveillance video capturing the robbery in progress at a downtown Victoria jewelry store. The store was full of people, um, and that's something that is, is more unusual to see someone just really walk in that aggressively. It happened just before 3.45 Saturday afternoon here at Francis Jewelers. And while staff declined to comment, it's clear they did their best to intervene. Using chairs to try and push the suspect away from the merchandise. But ultimately, they were unsuccessful. He at that time made off with uh, an expensive watch and some rings. In total, um, it looks like he entered, got into two or three of the display cases. Hit home for us because we do shop here a bit. As word spreads, loyal customers are stopping by to show their support. Yeah, we yeah. just thought we'd give them a little treat. Yeah, yeah. and keep them motivated to stay here and <laughs> fight back. Enough is enough. Yeah. Let's deal with this. Staff told police they recognized the suspect from an earlier incident on April 13th when he stole a bracelet from the same store, adding to the frustration and concerns about the surge of criminal activity in BC's capital. No staff should be having to deal with this, and that's really why we need all levels of government to be focused on uh, the issues that are leading to this kind of behaviour. Victoria Police are now asking for the public's help in identifying and locating the suspect, described as a man between 20 and 30 years old, with a medium build and a beard. He was wearing a baseball hat and tan pants, carrying a grey backpack and black duffel bag with red straps. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. 
Now more breaking news. Homicide investigators are being deployed to Pitt Meadows where a body has been found. Ridge Meadows RCMP say officers discovered the body of a man at around noon today in a wooded area west of the Golden Ears Bridge near the Meadowtown Shopping Center. While it is early in the investigation, police believe the man's death to be suspicious, but they also say there is no threat to the public. Well, three Metro Vancouver area men are now charged with violent gang-related crimes in BC's interior, including the murder of a woman in her own home in the Okanagan. Kamal Karamali now with how these types of crimes are no longer limited to big cities. It's been nearly two years since Kathleen Richardson was killed in her Naramata home. Now two people have been charged with first-degree murder. The individuals charged today are well known to police. 23-year-old Ikene Anibo made Vancouver Police's top six gang members list in 2021. He was arrested in October of that same year for unrelated firearms offenses. A second man, 23-year-old Jalen Falk, has also been charged. Police believe Richardson was the latest victim in a violent back and forth between BC gang members. Her son was charged with first-degree murder for the killings of Kamloops brothers Eric and and Carlos Fryer only one month earlier. At the time, there had been little information from police. There should be a little bit more information to the community. Richardson was found dead when RCMP swung by her home that day looking for more information on the Fryer brothers' double killing. There's no doubt this is a, a tragic death and uh, it just goes to show the unpredictable nature of uh, these gang members. Police say another targeted shooting in Prince George was also related to the same suspects. As part of BC's evolving gang landscape, we are now referring to the conflict as the BC gang conflict and no longer the Lower Mainland gang conflict. If you look at one of the uh, main financial resources for these gangs, it's the drug abuse and drug use problem, and that is certainly not just concentrated in Metro Vancouver. They're going to move to where they can make a profit. Experts say police have to be more open with the public when violence escalates. Police do a terrible, a terrible job here in British Columbia. They become spin doctors instead of trying to get the information out to the public and open up those lines of communication. Both Anibo and Falk are expected to appear in Kelowna court on Tuesday. Kamil Karamali, Global News. Almost eight years after he died, an inquest has begun into the death of Miles Gray. Gray died after an altercation with Vancouver police, and there are many questions about exactly what happened that summer afternoon in 2015. As the Matagahi reports, even though a coroner's inquest can't assign blame, Gray's family is hoping it can lead to change. I'm going to just try and... Um power through it, like power through hell, I guess. More than 2,800 agonizing days of grief have passed and still Margie Gray continues her seemingly never-ending journey for answers. On Monday, <laughs> began the long-awaited coroner's inquest into the death of her son, Miles Gray, during a violent police confrontation near the Vancouver-Burnaby border. I have been dreading this inquest for eight years and I just went on over. On August 13th, 2015, Vancouver police were called to reports of a man acting erratically and confronting a homeowner for watering her lawn during a drought. Police tried to arrest Gray and after a struggle with seven officers, the 33-year-old was injured to the point of unconsciousness. 
Gray was in the throes of a mental health crisis. His injuries so brutal, a cause of death has never been pinpointed. If someone's having a mental health crisis and they aren't wearing shoes and they aren't wearing a shirt, they should be able to identify that. And they should treat them more humanely. Gray's sister, Melissa, was first to testify. She said Gray was a lover, not a fighter, calling him her idol growing up. For eight years, we keep having to talk about his injuries and what they've done. Gray's family doctor testified that Gray lived with a bipolar disorder, adding in medical visits, Gray had told doctors he was on and off medication and that he had begun injecting black market testosterone supplements. He is being painted a picture that suits a narrative as far as I'm concerned when all he really was was someone who needed help. The next of the witnesses to testify at the coroner inquest will be the mother and her son who got into a confrontation with Gray and called police on the day of his death. Tuesday, the jury will also hear from the VPD constable who was first to respond and called for backup. I think they would be very relieved if the mother wasn't here and I don't even want to give them that. I am going to be there and they're going to have to talk their piece right in front of me. In Matagahi, Global News. Well, the VPD members involved in the Miles Gray case have never been censured, but at least seven of the officers are facing discipline up to dismissal. The Office of the Police Complaints Commissioner is investigating, but as Catherine Urquhart reports, there's no timeline on how long that might take. It has been more than seven years since Miles Gray died during a violent altercation with police. All these years later, the Vancouver police officers involved have yet to face any repercussions. It's absolutely inexplicable and horrifying that, that none of these officers has been suspended, none has been criminally charged, none has been disciplined over a period of seven years. BC's Independent Investigations Office recommended some be charged criminally, Crown declined, blaming inconsistent evidence from the officers who refused to cooperate. The Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner determined seven VPD members may face discipline for use of force and failure to keep notes, which was advised by their union. The OPCC told Global News the discipline proceeding before Chief Officer David Jones as discipline authority remains ongoing. There are no specific timelines in which the discipline authority must make their decision. The death by beating, kneeing and clubbing of an unarmed civilian by four police officers in Vancouver. Surely the public is entitled to have answers. All involved remain active serving members of VPD, leading many to wonder if there will ever be accountability for the beating death of Miles Gray. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. After a series of violent incidents, Transit's top cop is trying to reassure the public. You're never really alone when you're traveling on transit. Why he maintains the system is safe and how he says passengers can play a role next on the News Hour. Our goal would be to have a permanent home where we can store the collection and display the story through the artifacts to the Canadian public. Preserving and protecting the memorabilia connected to Canadian hero Terry Fox. That's coming up tonight. Plus, he went both times for the orange brush. They say pop can be addictive, but for bears, the surprising lesson a Sunshine Coast woman is sharing. Still to come on the news hour. 
Right now, though, Metro Vancouver's transit police chief is speaking out about the recent violence on transit, including the fatal stabbing of Ethan Bestplug. Chief Dave Jones says the criminal justice system needs a reset and he wants more officers. And in an exclusive interview with our Janet Brown, he's also pleading with the public to report, not just record crimes. Dave Jones says the transit system is safe. He says the most recent data shows crime rates have declined. Crimes against persons in 2022 dropped by 21% compared to the year before. Crimes against property was down 33%. Stats say, and the experiences that go on say, that it is safe. Right, that the system is. There's a, there's a changing demographic as as we push people. I'm going to say as we encourage people and move people towards the use of, of transit. Regardless, Jones says more transit police officers are needed. Mental health apprehensions, for instance, are up 13 percent. He says there are plans to hire 52 to 54 additional officers over the next three years. The one thing we're coming to recognize, and, um, and, and even the people planning for this, is all the cities are basing their growth and plans around transit. So as we head into here, Lohi, just take a look around at the towers and the amount of population. So we're not just concerned with what's happening physically on here, on the platform. We're looking at what's happening around us. Jones says transit police also need the public's help. If you see something, right, and you're saying, hey, look, that's out of line, or they seem aggressive, or something's going to happen here, let us know. You can very sit there, text this, and we live monitor it, and it's being responded to in live time. And Jones is outspoken about the criminal justice system. He says it needs a reset. I've been around for 37 years in policing. And, you know, parts of the justice system are guided by court decisions and higher courts and that. But, you know, there, there has to be a change in what we've seen. We need to take a look at violent offenders and we need to make, take a look at, remember, that element of the protection of society. Janet Brown, Global News. Well, today marks one month since transit workers in the Fraser Valley went on strike, leaving thousands of people without affordable, reliable transportation. And with no end in sight, pressure is mounting on the provincial government to step in. Kristen Robinson reports. One month into the Fraser Valley transit strike, we find Susan risking her life to grab a pizza, one of the few foods she can eat. My legs don't work, as you can see. I can't walk without this wheeler walker. I rely on the buses. With only essential handy dart service running, transit hubs are deserted. More than 5,000 commuters who depend on these buses each day stranded. International students used to a free bus pass forced to add Uber to their budget. Uber has become very expensive due to high demands, so it's like impacting us really bad. We have to work two more hours daily to uh, earn that money to spend on Uber. The financial toll also being felt by the 213 striking QP local 561 members who say they'd like to get back to work. 34 years to get, you get to know a lot of people on the buses and they really like to see a bus coming and then get on the bus and get to where they need to go. Makes them a lot happier. I can't imagine what it's like for them. 14 years I served the community and I know the people and people approach me when in the, in the grocery store in the temple. I feel like helpless. 
The workers are fighting for a pension and wage parity in their dispute with First Transit, a contractor hired by BC Transit. The union says members make about one-third less than bus drivers and maintenance workers in the Metro Vancouver transit system. We want a fair deal, so we're going to be out here until we get a fair deal and we'd like them to come and sit down with us. The union says no new talks are scheduled and it doesn't appear the province is ready to step in to end the labour strife. I have offered uh, mediation services, they are still available, but both, are, both parties have still uh, not come to that conclusion that they need mediation. Mediation can't help, in my view, until they, they agree and they're ready for mediation. Susan just wants to see her bus drivers back with the deal she says they deserve. Why should they be paid less than the rest of the province? Kristen Robinson, Global News. An internal dispute between members of an Okanagan First Nation has sparked a blockade of some of its buildings. Members of the Slutsin First Nation, who feel their current council isn't providing the leadership the band needs, have barricaded key administration buildings, demanding a new election. Supporters of the council say it's doing its job, and not getting along isn't a reason to call a new election. We're losing like all our resources, all our services aren't, they can't be delivered because there's just nobody working at that main table. And like when your foundation, which is your leadership, is crumbling, everything underneath that crumbles and suffers too. It comes with the territory um, and when you come to the table, you have to be prepared to debate. According to a court document, the majority of Splatsian Council did vote to order a new election last month, but that decision is being challenged in federal court. Up next, YVR's Winter of Discontent. And about 180,000 passengers uh, were affected by that disruption. Lessons from the holiday chaos and the airport's action plan to improve. Plus, new funding for festivals, the financial boost keeping some popular events afloat. Good evening and good news. Finally cleared a crash northbound on the Alex Fraser Bridge just before mid-span, but unfortunately the damage is done. Northbound traffic remains in recovery mode on every available route leaving Delta. Integra Tire is proud to serve the communities they are part of. Contact your local dealer today and get up to $100 in tire rebates. Integra Tire, truly local. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. The federal government has announced funding for a number of projects it says will attract hundreds of thousands of visitors to Vancouver. The $3 million will go to various festivals and cultural organizations. It includes $500,000 for the Vancouver International Film Festival. More than a dozen other groups are also getting money, including the Fringe, Jazz and Dragon Boat Festivals. And there will be help for venues such as the Granville Island Stage and new public spaces in Gastown. The world needs more of what Vancouver has to offer. The dynamic tourism experience strengthens how the world uh, sees us, and that in turn helps us um, attracting trade and investment and international students and also um, uh, immigrants to this land. In addition to attracting more than 500,000 visitors to Vancouver, the federal government says these investments will also create more than 400 new jobs. Vancouver International Airport has released what it's calling an action plan, hoping to avoid a repeat of last year's nightmare before, during and after Christmas. As Grace Key reports, YVR's CEO acknowledges the delays were unacceptable, 
but she says they were the result of unprecedented problems. December's winter storm left 1,300 flights canceled at YVR. Passengers stuck on planes, bags missing, and people stranded. A new report looks into what went wrong and makes 25 recommendations, some already completed. In total, we'll be investing $40 million to ensure that we have the technology, the equipment, and the people needed to be a resilient airport regardless of the weather events in front of us. Passengers on 24 planes waited more than four hours on the tarmac because there were no gates available. At times, de-icing fluid was no longer effective and planes weren't able to take off. Protocols will ensure passengers will deplane within 30 minutes of taxiing and real-time technology will prioritize planes waiting for a gate. What this does is this provides a seamless picture, connectivity, of where uh, an aircraft and ground handling and towing equipment is for all aircraft on the ground, regardless of where they are in the aircraft journey. Luggage dump. Oh, my God. Luggage piled up because of problems in the East Coast. It took days for some to track their bags. We've installed technology that will allow us, when bags are coming into the airport, to scan each and every one of those bags, to be able to know when it uh, came in, from where, and also to record the location that we'll be storing it on behalf of the airline. Snowfall was worse than forecasted. A real-time weather monitoring station will be installed to better help with operations and predict when a flight may be cancelled. A digital twin platform will provide real-time information on aircraft, passengers and equipment to help with operations. Nobody is giving me an answer. For passengers, more terminal staff and better communication tools are also being addressed. Then I'm confident that these improvements will continue to show why YVR is one of recognized as one of the world's leading airports because we do things well and on the rare occasion when we don't, we get right down to it. We uh, seek feedback. We're transparent and accountable. We make improvements. Time will tell when the next winter storm hits. Grace Key, Global News. Up next, home sweet office. One day um, at home will be really nice, so it, it makes your life so much easier. How workers are resisting a return to the office. Plus, a lot of people have been saying he could give cocaine bearer run for his money. A black bear quenches its thirst in a most unusual way. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Seeing delays for northbound traffic at the Knight Street Bridge due to an earlier rollover crash northbound before the south end. Traffic is still super slow out of Richmond. Integra Tire is proud to serve the communities they are part of. Contact your local dealer today and get up to $100 in tire rebates. Integra Tire, truly local. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Well, working from home has become the new reality for many Canadians. But as we emerge from the pandemic, many companies are demanding a return to the office. As Travis Prasad reports, with a tight labour market, that strategy could be risky. Some Canadians continue to reap the benefits of working from home. Not have to worry about 
getting up two hours before work or, you know, I can kind of eat breakfast at my desk. I can kind of wear whatever I want. But now some companies are pushing for a return to in-person work, including RBC, which wants employees back in the office three or four days a week starting next month. A new study from the Angus Reid Institute suggests forcing employees back to the workplace full time could be risky. It's about half of Canadian workers saying their relationship with their current employer would be pretty tenuous if they were called back in full time, no exceptions. The nonprofit institute surveyed over 1,600 Canadians. For those working from home at least some of the time, 36% said they'd have no problem going back to work at the office full time. However, over half said they would either return to the office but possibly start looking for a new job or they would quit and look for a new job right away. Full-time I'd be against, but um, definitely part-time I'd be happy about it. Just like in, from like a company culture standpoint as well. Get to know your teammates better, all that stuff. One day um, at home would be really nice, so it, it makes your life so much easier. The findings come amid talks of an economic recession, which could lead to job cuts. But Canada's labour market remains tight, and Curl says workers know it. You're seeing that flex from workers from home who are saying at this stage they're not ready to capitulate and job security is not something that's keeping them up at night. Of the survey respondents working from home, 82% said their work-life balance was good or great. Compare that to 54% for those working from the office. More than 155,000 federal public servants could go on strike if a deal isn't reached with the government this week. One of the key sticking points is the option for remote work. Perhaps a sign that a once temporary measure could be here to stay. So I think it's the future, yes. Travis Prasad, Global News. A woman on the Sunshine Coast was shocked to find a bear had turned her Jeep into its very own cooler. That sound broke the silence in Earl's Cove around 3 last Thursday morning. It was a bear smashing through the canopy of her vehicle, trying to get at six cases of pop inside. Sharon Roselle had bought them for her food truck business and thought there was no way a bear could smell the soda through a closed can. Uh, the whole bottom of the vehicle was swimming. The only other thing in the car besides the uh, pop was um, paper towel. And he did bring it from the back to the front. He just did nothing with it. I did not go outside. I've been known to chase off bears before, but my husband said he was very glad I stayed inside and kept safe. Now, had it been his beer, I was obligated to go out and fight <laughs> to the death, but it was only pop. The bear went through the orange crush first and then moved on to the root beer, ultimately drinking 69 of the 72 cans in the vehicle. It left three diet pops untouched. Well, the province is taking over a former private clinic to expand access to day surgeries in north central B.C. The Prince George Surgery Centre was a private facility with three operating rooms. It offered cosmetic surgery, cataract extraction and operations under contract to WorkSafe B.C. Well, the province announced today it's taking over the clinic and will offer less complex procedures at the surgery centre, freeing up space at the University Hospital of northern B.C. for more complex operations. These are cases where there was a willing seller and um, we were obviously a willing buyer because we see the advantages of this and continuing to work with our, our surgeons in different parts of the province. So there is some of the possibility of more of this. 
Dick says the move will reduce the number of private surgeries in B.C., but it's being done with the doctors involved. Finding a home for memorabilia connected to a Canadian hero. And Terry is that fabric of Canada, that story, the values that he showed. The push to establish a permanent home to honour and continue the legacy of Terry Fox. And a picker's pocket guide to the vintage sign world and why it's currently the most sought-after antique item. Well, Christy, I know April can be temperamental, but yes. it's a little over the top, it feels like. <laughs> I always have to remind people, and because I was talking to my mom, she's like, isn't spring like where you just gradually get warmer towards summer? And I was like, mm, no, it goes like this and like yeah. this. And we're on one of those little dips. Yeah, thanks so much, Sophie. The snowfall behind me is what Sophie's referring to. Today, you likely felt it. It was very cool. And this was just outside of the Chilliwack area. Higher elevation, certainly. But Ryder Lake had a little bit of snowfall this morning. And uh, Pat shared us these photos, uh, shared these photos with us. And we have the potential again tonight for parts of the south coast. So let me show you. Nine degrees was our daytime high at YVR. Typical for this time of year is 14. We're well below seasonal for this time of year. And that's the case right across much of the province. The reason is the jet stream driving down and around, and we've seen these pool of cold air uh, across our region uh, time and time again so far this spring. Uh, so it's cold mainly over higher elevations, but sort of it, it makes its way down as well. And we've got this upper level low that's going to bring in a number of waves of rainfall. So it's mainly going to be a rain event for our region, but temperatures will drop down to two, three degrees. So we could see some wet snow over higher elevations just in the early morning hours. And I'll show you which areas could see that, but it comes with the risk of thunderstorms as well. So there's the snowfall and for Metro Vancouver or the South Coast area, it's mainly inland of Vancouver Island up towards Campbell River, Powell River, and then up towards Squamish and higher elevations of Metro Vancouver. So there's your forecast for your Tuesday, everyone. A risk of thunderstorms comes with these periods of rain on and off throughout the day. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. We could even see a bit of hail. Daytime highs will reach only 10 degrees. Typical for this time of year is uh, 14. We're going to remain below seasonal for the next several days. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's sort of one of those days, Sophie, where you definitely have to be prepared for anything. And that's sort of what we're expecting this week as well. Tonight's Central Windows Weather Window coming to you from uh, Kamloops Lake. Thank you so much to Steve for that one. It was a beautiful morning he set up there and they had some nice blue sky. Look at that refraction, reflection. <laughs> Sorry. It's like a mirror. There you go. <laughs> Thanks, yeah, Christy. So nice. Okay. It's been 43 years since Terry Fox inspired the nation with his Marathon of Hope. Memorabilia from Terry's journey have been part of a touring exhibit across the country. But as Richard Zussman reports, the push is now on to find those items a permanent home. It's a piece of Canadian history, famous for being on the move. Now, 43 years after Terry Fox embarked on his iconic journey, his foundation is looking to park this van. Our goal would be to have a permanent home where we can store the collection and display the story through the artifacts to the Canadian public. The Terry Fox Centre has contacted the BC government about a permanent home for the Terry Fox collection. More than a thousand pieces that up until now have moved place to place. One location being looked at is in or near BC Place in downtown Vancouver. I'm a retailer, so location, location, location is important. You know, where is tourism and how can we get, you know, as many Canadians through the museum or the centre as we can. Another option here 
at the Royal BC Museum, an institution in the midst of a very public rethink, and the minister in charge, Lana Popham, says she is in conversations with the Terry Fox Foundation around what the future of a permanent exhibit could look like. We've been meeting with the Terry Fox Foundation and trying to figure out ways to support them as they look for a permanent home. Uh, the big year that everybody's aiming for, of course, is 2030. That will be the 50th anniversary. Normally in these cases, organizations would lead fundraising to pay for the project, but Fox's foundation is focused on raising money to support cancer research, not to fund museums. We have to find a financial structure that will work. And, you know, we want money to go to the cancer research. We don't want people to necessarily give to us showing the artifacts so much. The collection includes shoes, prosthetics, and the water collected 43 years ago from the Atlantic Ocean. It also includes digital versions of letters Canadians sent Fox. It's impossible to count how many people Fox has inspired and how many more could be added to the list once these things have a permanent home. Richard Osman, Global News, Victoria. All right, time to bring in Squire Barnes for a look ahead to sports. And what's that old saying in Canucks Nation, Squire? There's always next year. Yes, actually, that has been used, I don't know, most of the years that the Canucks have been in existence. I mean, there's been a few years that have been great, but for the most part, it's like, wait till next year. And you need a lot of optimism to be a Canucks fan. And it is all about next year for the Canucks now. And one guy, I think, who will be back next season is JT Miller, despite all the trade rumors. I'm not saying I'm not going to trade him, but I'm very pleased to have JT Miller in Vancouver. Also, don't look for the Canucks to make any big buyouts this year to save salary either. Not saying I'm not going to trade him. That's a double negative. I know. Also ahead. It's just a worldwide trend. The signs. What's old is new again. And the hottest items in collectibles. That's still to come tonight. negative is a positive is that right yeah that's okay what i learned in math class excellent i didn't know that <laughs> you always learn something in this show mm -hmm. it's infotainment um the uh, canucks post-mortem was held today for management now the players did theirs on saturday there was no jim rutherford today though he seems to be curbing his enthusiasm for telling us what he thinks because Jim Rutherford really does tell you what he thinks without filter. So I guess he feels less talk means less controversy. So it was just Patrick Alvine and Rick Tockett. After another year where the Canucks, as we all know, won games when it didn't matter and lost games when it did matter. Irwin, the ex-Coyote, finds a step in a goal deep. He scores a hat-trick for Connor Garland. They might have won back-to-back -back games to finish off the year, but don't be fooled by another late-season surge by the Vancouver Canucks. There's still a lot of work to be done for a team that has now missed the playoffs seven of the last eight seasons. But that work to improve a roster that missed a wild-card spot by 12 points won't be done by cutting big checks to clear much-needed cap space. The intention is not using buyouts at this point. My vision, too, is, like, you know, if you do buyouts now, they might, they might affect you down the road. And, and I just think that this group is uh, touching the surface of becoming a good team. So I don't want to use buyouts if we don't have to. I don't want to use buyouts. It's going to affect us 
in a couple of years when this group is actually hopefully taking off. There's no question the Canucks played better under new head coach Rick Tockett going 20-12-4. 11 of those wins coming with a healthy and much improved Thatcher Demko starting in the net. Also keep in mind, the Canucks schedule was a lot softer the final few months of the season. That's not to detract from the work that Tockett and his staff did. However, it's worth asking if the change necessarily had to be made when it happened, as the Canucks basically took themselves out of the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. Well, we all know that, that that's not a guarantee, but I think at, at the point where we made the changes, we felt, um, and Rich touched on it, and on our core guys, they were trending the wrong way. Uh, the energy level here, uh, walking into Rogers Arena, there wasn't much of a trust. There's a lot of different narratives painted. You know, why didn't you tank, and is it just a coach's bump, and it's all the stuff we hear, and I love that stuff because that should fuel the players. Change will be coming for the Vancouver Canucks. It has to. Now we wait and see how Patrick Alvine and the management team makes it happen. Because not only did the Canucks miss a wild card spot by a dozen points, they were a whopping 21 points back of the LA Kings, who finished third in the Pacific, and a staggering 28 points back of Vegas, who topped the Pacific. Jay Janor, Global Sports. Now, to be honest, I'm not really surprised the Canucks' Patrick Alvine is tamping down the idea of buying out players like, say, Oliver ekman Larson, because ownership would have to agree to that. And I'm not so sure the Aquilinis are keen on giving him nearly $20 million for nothing. Another question that's been floating around a while is, will they try to trade J.T. Miller before his no-trade clause goes into effect? It appears right now the answer is no. JT, uh, again, since I get in here a year ago, I think he was traded everywhere, <laughs> all the rumors. Uh, for him to block all that out, uh, come back and be a big part of the, of the leadership group here, I'm very happy to have him here. Um, but, uh, you know, if anybody calls on, you know, hey, Gretzky got traded too. I, I'm not saying I'm not going to trade him. <laughs> But I'm very pleased to have J.T. Miller in Vancouver Canucks. Playoff starting tonight. And, of course, Bo Horvat, number 14, is in the playoffs with the Islanders taking on Carolina. But game one didn't go so well. The Islanders give up a couple of power play goals. That one to Stefan Nason. And they lose 2-1 to Carolina in game number one. And the man who wears number one is now number one as far as contracts are concerned in the NFL. The Eagles signed Jalen Hurts to a new five-year extension. They say it's worth $255 million. He'll now make an average of $51 million per season, which is about $700,000 more than Aaron Rodgers and $2 million more than Russell Wilson gets a year. He led the Eagles to the Super Bowl, played pretty well in the Super Bowl, but they still lost to Kansas City. There you go. All right, Squire, thank you very much. Up next, sign, sign, everywhere a sign. Ah, five-man electrical band. Exactly, the hottest item in collectibles just ahead. Andrew is here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. And thanks, Sophie. Surrey RCMP are in the Newton area after a report of shots fired at a vehicle. It happened near 76th Avenue and 148th Street. Police say a man was found suffering from non-life-threatening injuries and is being treated right now in hospital. And it looks like the Vancouver Park Board is dealing with a shortage of lifeguards as it heads into the peak season. It says it needs 450 lifeguards. And right now, there are only 300. We'll tell you what's behind the shortage and the ongoing efforts to attract 
more applicants. Those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Sophie? Sounds good. Thank you, Anne. All right, what do you have there? I have a poster. See, Anne there's it a, was a menu. No, it's not a menu. There's a uh, auction coming up on the 25th and 26th, and the, oh, and an old friend of ours, the Mad Picker, Wayne Leary, is sort of handling it. And the, the whole thing is about basically signs. You know, old metal signs you used to see at, you know, especially at corner grocery stores and mm -hmm. things like that. Those have shot up in value. So if you have a couple hanging around, <laughs> you may want to give somebody a call. It's a sign of the times that in the world of collectibles, old signs like these are turning into bigger dollar signs year after year. I would have sold them that probably seven, eight years ago, perhaps for $1,200. The bid today online right now is 3,600. That sign four years ago was $300. The bid right now online is $1,500. That used to be 1,200 three years ago. Now they're pushing 3,000. Wayne has been in the collectibles business for 50 years and he knows that collectors see these things the same way people see paintings and sculptures. Signs, pumps, all this stuff, when you start looking at it, it's not signs, and this is how guys are looking. You look at it, it's art, yeah. right? Way back in the 30s, they had great graphic artists. They designed a sign, and you look at the sign, you think, geez, that's really cool. And all of a sudden, one or two of them hit the money, and now everybody wants to own that sign, and it's because of the graphics, right? Another reason for the increase in value, even for the ones that aren't in mint condition, is because of their scarcity. The supply is very, very, very limited and getting extremely hard to get. People are, are searching all the time. Marketplace, list, you know, Etsy, all the sites, they're on there day and night trying to find stuff, and there's not enough product coming out. Everybody's investing money right now in Orange Crush, right? Crush, Pepsi, 7-Up, and Root Beer are the four main investment signs. And when they're in this condition, just sky's the limit, right? So if you happen to find an old gas pump or an old sign somewhere, you never know. It could make your life a whole lot sweeter. There was just a sign sold in the U.S. in the last year, 1.4 million came out of an addict, a gasoline sign. So it's, it's, it's pretty crazy what's happening. Probably some old BCTV signs, right? Around yeah, those ones yeah. that used to be on buses. I bet you they're worth something. 20 lot. bucks at least. Well, at least. <laughs> but that's gone up because they were only 18 bucks last year. True. See? See? Inflation. All right. Christy, <laughs> final word on the weather. Sure. So get ready for anything tomorrow. Again, we have that possibility of higher elevation snow, but it's mainly a rain event and it will be heavy at times with the risk of thunderstorms. And watch for hail too and maybe some sunshine in the mix. Oh, spring. Good <laughs> so springy. <laughs> Thanks for watching. Have a good night, all.